Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Peaceful Growth, a show about learning tools, tips, strategies to grow your business, life and career without burning out. I'm your host Anil Gupta, CEO and co-founder of Multidots, Multicollab and Dot Store. Now let's get into today's episode. Hey everyone, uh, welcome to today's episode of Peaceful Growth uh, podcast and my guest today is Kim. Kim is a founder of Stranger Studio. Uh, that's a company behind uh, some of the popular plugins like Membership Pro, uh, Paid Membership Pro, Sitewide Cells. Um, welcome, Kim. Welcome to the Peaceful Growth Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Anil. Yeah, glad that we had a chance to connect today. And Kim, um, usually I ask my guest to introduce themselves and tell a little bit of story, but we're going to do a little bit different today. So I'm going to ask a different question today. So. My question for you, what are the two or three things that you have recently done uh, which were very exciting for you? I can. The first one that comes to mind is that at the start of this year, we took a half ownership in Lifter LMS, which is an e-learning platform and also a membership plugin. So it overlaps some with what we do at Paid Memberships Pro. So very exciting. Oh, nice. on the Congratulations. Front. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, That's that um, has been a huge learning experience for me, uh, operating two different products, two different teams with that overlap, uh, getting involved in their processes and learning how they do things and, and sharing between the two companies things that are working um, and unblocking things that really aren't in each team mm. has been, it's been pretty, it's been a whirlwind, but I'm looking forward to a calmer 2024 for sure. Nice. Yeah. Okay, what else? What else? <laughs> um, <laughs> We were uh, all private school, all homeschool with our kids. So I know this is a hybrid of life and business. So this is the first time my kids are in uh, public school this year and it's going amazingly well. I think it's something we should have done sooner, but it was a big leap and a big leap to feel comfortable with uh, and see how they transition in. So that's a big life thing. Uh, yeah, and, and personally, I, I took a lot of time off in September to travel. I, I mentioned previously I was in Tibet. I was in Bali also. Um, so I took a lot of personal time at the beginning of, of September for myself to just recalibrate. So business mm. things and life things, it's been a big year. Wow. Uh, I love um, that you mentioned about Tibet and Bali because kind of like looks like, you know, it fa falls into the peaceful uh, growth aspect of the this podcast as well it i believe that will be a time that you disconnect uh, and recharge and renew yourself absolutely that's really what i use that time for great awesome so kim um my next question is how about we start with your introduction tell us a little bit about your story uh, how did you get started uh, with the stranger studio and plugins and and your entrepreneurship journey yeah, absolutely. I was uh, all through college. My then boyfriend, now husband, Jason, and I would do web development projects uh, to make money. So instead of having a part-time job or an hourly job somewhere, we were, you know, trolling Craigslist and reaching out to anyone that we knew that might need a website and just doing small website projects, $500 websites, $750 websites. Um, but we developed quite a client base. And when I graduated Villanova in 2006, I had a business degree. Jason was already working. Uh, he had a computer science degree and was working for a, a major consulting company, Accenture. And I graduated and said, we have enough of a client book. I have a way to get leads. I can keep doing this. I'm not going to get a real job, mom and dad. I'm going to just be a freelancer and, and work from my sofa or my living room. Uh, I 
give my parents a lot of uh, credit for trusting that decision after they had spent such a fortune on an education that they, you know, did they think I'd become an accountant or who knows what? Um, I think they knew I always had an entrepreneurial side to me through my childhood. Um, so fast forward, 2006, uh, within six months, Jason left his consulting role and was working with me full time. And that was really the start of Stranger Studios. Uh, we did client and consulting work up until about 2006 or 2008, where we started getting serious about product and what product could look like as a different lifestyle. We were starting a family. So 2008 to 2011, we were uh, incubating Paid Memberships Pro, building it with um, client projects that were supporting pieces of the development um, and things that they needed. So we were able to bootstrap through uh, having clients offset the cost of things. They needed a feature. We were going to put it in our open source product. So it really uh, it developed both sides of things. We had incoming money, but we also had a product that was being nurtured. Uh, and then we were able to go full time on that by 2014. And since then, you know, 12 years later, what, six, I don't know, almost 12, 13 years in now have been running Paid Memberships Pro, growing the team and looking at other products to launch like site-wide sales and getting involved in Lifter. So those, this 12 past years feel like a blur. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the spark um, to move from consulting business to uh, pro product business? Definitely the starting to have children, our son was born with some birth complications. So we had kind of two weeks of our life where we had to be on call for clients, but also had this baby that really needed us. And it was a good head check to say, is this a sustainable business? Just the two of us getting calls at 10 o'clock at night, being needed when our lives couldn't be put, when our work couldn't be put on hold, but our lives really needed it to be put on hold um, was was a good moment to say, how do we want to grow? And option was, of course, hire people and grow our agency or consider product. And that whole dream of make money when you sleep of, you know, a wider number of customers being accountable for a smaller amount of money and what that could look like. So I think that that along with where we saw our projects going, our projects were going more in an e-commerce membership focused space at that time, like people were seeing that WordPress could be used as a framework for larger applications, more than just a blog. So it was kind of a, a sweet spot, I think. We didn't want to grow as a team. We wanted to grow as a product. OK. And this idea of uh, Membership Pro plugin, is that something that came out from the when you were doing the consulting, somebody asked for it? Or you like, how did the, the idea emerge? Yeah, so this is like before WooCommerce was even a product, before e-commerce on WordPress was what it is today. Uh, there was um, other smaller e-commerce platforms. There was S2 member was an option this was before MemberPress, before uh, Wishlist member even, and right around the time of Restrict Content Pro. So I'm throwing a lot of names of our competitors, but it was before there was uh, a plugin you could say was like the membership plugin for WordPress. So that was that ecosystem and also client work more clients were asking for portals for things for their coaching. They wanted like a little quiz people could take or like a coaching platform where people could log into their existing WordPress site and you know manage the relationship through the coaching, manage and access some training. So that idea of protected content in a WordPress site that required a login uh, was kind of emerging. And it didn't have an e-commerce component right away. That came later where we said, this isn't just user registration and content restriction. It's also a subscription business for people. Yeah. And, and some of the clients that had the largest applications that were just you know, do, delivering a sales training webinar in person and offering this asset of the website access later then thought, I could sell this 
a la carte. I could sell this to someone I didn't deliver a training to in person for $97 a year for $397 a year. So uh, it was just uh, listening to our customers' needs and thinking how could we generalize this as a product that everyone could use. Nice. So how big is the business at this moment? Um, like how big your team size, revenues, customers, anything that uh, that you can share? Yeah, I have it pulled up. We have um, 13 full-time team members at, in paid memberships. ProLifter has almost 10, I think, full-time team members. Um, mm -hmm. The business itself is on set to do like 1.6 million this year. So a huge business um, that's grown uh, roughly 20%. Some years were larger. Uh, jumps. I'm looking at the revenue chart. I don't want to show the real revenue chart without getting approval from Jason. Um, <laughs> but I can tell you, every year it's like about a 20% growth. Um, it's interesting to watch. Our business is a subscription model, so it's yeah. interesting to watch uh, as the years have gone. Uh, what percentage are new customers versus returning? So I know people um, look a lot at like, what's your MRR, and they and they yeah. throw these metrics around. But yeah. it's, as as a subscription business grows over the lifetime, like a larger percentage of them are your returning retained customers. So we look at the new customer growth uh, and we look at the um, current customer growth and it's usually like 60, 40 new to um, returning. Um, so 60% are, are returning. And if I look back like to like 2017, it was like hugely outsized of new customers, right? Like 75% were new. So um, that's just what a, a subscription business looks like over its life cycle with that retention. Uh, our plugin itself has over 90,000 installs in wordpress.org. Wish we had better stats for that. And our paid to um, free users split, you know, we have like about 10% of the people using our platform are paid customers. So it's largely leaning toward free. The plugin itself is 100% open source and free. So about 10% of our user base is a paid customer. Okay. Uh, well, 20% growth is a uh, growth rate is is, is really um, a great success, Kim. Uh, congratulations. Well done. Thank you. Yeah. You want to share some numbers about your products and, and kind of, I know you've been in business a long time as well. So how does the, I think people like often like to hear like ratio of new to returning and things like that, how that tracks. I feel like it often is very similar among products like ours. Yeah. So, um, so we have, uh, I have three different businesses. One is more like consulting and agency. That's our main, I think, business, multi-dots. And the other two other product businesses are multi-collab and dot store. So with uh, multi-dots, where it's more like agency, you know, we don't do any plugins there. But that agency business itself is uh, somewhere around 3.5 to 4 million uh, a year. And mm -hmm. um, our product, especially the, the dot store, that's something that, this was six, six, seven year old. Uh, so we started, I think, I believe, uh, 2016. And that's doing somewhere around 300,000 a year, uh, roughly. And Multicollab is, is, a, is a brand new product. So we just uh, started, like, uh, launched the paid plan uh, a year ago. That's doing somewhere around 30, 35,000 a year right now. Um, but uh, yeah, one thing as we are ta talking about the revenues and uh, the growth numbers, one thing that 
I really appreciate and admire that you are open and opening, uh, sharing the numbers, because that's the one thing that uh, I've been having a discussion with uh, someone doing the WordCamp US. I was like, yes, WordPress community itself is so open. And like, you know, we always constantly try to be open about our code, open about our, our culture, and we write and share uh, tips and strategy, but I have seen there's still some reservation uh, and discomfort in sharing the revenues. And uh, so that was the one thing that uh, when surveying my listeners, like, hey, you know, I'm starting this podcast and I'm going to do talk to WordPress entrepreneurs and some web and digital entrepreneurs. Uh, what are the questions that, uh, you know, you want to ask me or rather questions that comes to your mind? And majority of them were like, hey, we would like to know how if WordPress product business is profitable, if WordPress product is really uh, something that I can consider as a goal. You know, I'm, I'm sure like my success and your success is not an example that someone will also build the similar success. You know, the we all have a different goal uh, and different product. But the idea is that, yeah, like if we are more open about sharing the numbers, sharing how our growth looks like, uh, it will help or inspire someone else, you know, who is on this path. Absolutely. I, I think people look at WordPress and think, you know, how can you sell free? How can you mm. monetize open source? And yeah. there's a movement to commercialized open source. And the more we have these conversations that it can be profitable and you get, you know, so many benefits by having open source code, in my opinion. Um, you know, I think that other people will, will, catch on <laughs> yeah yeah no i uh, thank you once again for sharing those numbers uh, i think that was really great to see um what your growth looks like now kim uh, the next thing that this is also one of the popular questions that uh, uh, during the survey i found out from my audience that um what they want to know is that um when it comes to a wordpress product or plugin business um People struggle at two different stages. One is when they launch a brand new product and idea, right? Getting your first hundred customer because that's where you don't have your product is not popular. You're still figuring you don't have like you know that uh, uh, an unlimited amount of budget to spend on marketing uh, and PR and all that. So how you gain your first hundred customer that's kind of like one way one area where um you know they want to learn from the other entrepreneurs like you and me so that's my question that if there is anything uh, that you can share uh, in order to gain your first hundred customers what did you do and what worked i'll story tell a little bit of what strategies we did what we tried what failed uh, mm -hmm. what we enjoyed um so we entered a market in uh, yeah, 2011, the plugin went in the WordPress.org repository. There was S2 member. That was the other competing membership product in that space. Um, we did fully open source. We did all of our payment gateways with the recurring subscription pieces within the core product, which was new. You know, a lot of people were modularizing and moving um, components like that into like a paid extension. But we were like, you know, we're, you know, there's already one person doing this. How can we compete in that space. So we thought like, let's be feature complete. Let's fully embrace open source. Let's be as open as possible. And we're not going to give someone a plugin that does like 95% of what they need and force them to pay. That creates, you know, a bad conversation with the customer. Like, you know, I, I want to get paid. You're called Paid Memberships Pro. I have to pay for this extension to do gateway stuff. So we wanted to the core product to be 
functional and complete. So uh, I think when you're deciding what features are premium and not, you can create uh, artificial walls just because you think that's what people are gonna pay for. Um, but if growth and, and user base is your goal, which it's always been for us, our, and our goal is to become the most used membership platform for WordPress. And to reach that goal, we have to consider our free users as importantly as our paid customers. Um, so being feature complete was something that really helped us. And also early on, we did a lot of like what people call now build in public, like we did it to the nth degree, lots of content marketing, lots of blogging, what we were doing, um, sharing that all on our website, paidmerchantspro.com. We also put our documentation behind a free user sign up. So we use our own plugin to gate content on our website and we use it to sell our subscription. So that was a, a trick to help us not only grow as user base was growing, we had a great product, it was free free.org. We also were able to grow an email list alongside that, which is key if you're trying to grow customers, you know, you don't have access to the people using your WordPress product. It can, you know, 90,000 sites. I don't have 90,000 people that check my email or communicate with me or even have an account on our site. But by having that free free gate behind documentation, we created a, a reason people had to give us an email address more than just, you know, don't you want our marketing content? Sign up. Don't you want this lead magnet? Sign up. Uh, and very little pushback, which when people hear, when business owners hear that, they think, are your customers going to be so mad that they have to mm -hmm. exchange an email address? You know, a number of people, I can count on two hands, have complained in 13 years of doing that, mm -hmm. that they needed to create an account because I think people are used to that, you know, right. you're using a completely free product, you know, sign up. So growing that email list gave us a path of people to send marketing content to, to pitch our offers to, to send deals to. Um, One so, question on the email list then, do you know that, what's the split between the people who are signing up for these emails were from the WordPress professionals or experts versus non-WordPress uh, experts? You mean signing up for the, to get access to our documentation? Yeah. I, I assume most of them are signing up because they are already using the platform and found it through wordpress.org. It's our largest referral source. Okay. Um, I'm pulling up a report we have about whether, this takes a minute to come up. Mm -hmm. We kind of capture, uh, part of that free user checkout is asking them, do you already have a WordPress site? Are you already using our platform? And we only ask that of the free users because um, it's really yeah. important that you don't create too much friction for a paid user to fill out a gigantic survey for you before they yeah. give you money. So yeah. um, we ask them, you know, do you already have a membership business and what describes where you're at with our plugin? So I can stats on that. I could share the stats on that probably. Um, you want me to share it up on the screen? Sure, if, okay. if that's okay. Yeah. Okay, so these are of people who submit um, a free user checkout. Are you already using Paid Memberships Pro? And a large majority obviously are not already have a identify as having a membership business, but the vast majority are already using paid memberships pro. Um, some people are considering a switch obviously here yeah. and some people are switching, you know, from another membership plugin or from a hosted platform like a Substack or circle.so uh, or something like that. So um, that's cool stats to capture and it's information we wouldn't otherwise know about people who just like try it from wordpress.org because right. we have this, um, you know, 
as well as you can make your products, people need documentation. There's links to documentation throughout the product that go to a page on the site that say, oh, you just need a free account to access this. So mm -hmm. it, it works very naturally. Uh, and it's really helped us grow the email list that we can then market to, to for customer acquisition. So going back to, to my, my the question, but now um, in a different context, that for your product and the business, do you think, do you think that your target audience is the WordPress people in WordPress community or how much, like, how do you set your message, branding message or strategies to focus on the targeting the people who are in WordPress, who build, uh, uh, like developers, designers, and agencies who build on WordPress or the publishers or writers or businesses who doesn't know anything about the WordPress, but they just want to run their business on WordPress. For us, it's the latter, and I think it's a it's a price point thing. Most of our users are building their own website. They're not hiring a developer. They're the thought leader. They're the creator. They're the association manager. You know, they're trying to create the community. Um, mm. So they're a, a lot like us. They're entrepreneurs. They're uh, they found WordPress because it's you know so largely used on the web. Uh, it is an option that's more cost effective. Uh, they we see our customers like valuing owning their data, which isn't you know a freedom you get when you choose a hosted platform. Um, so it's it's a less expensive on road to uh, creating a membership business than it would be to like double down on a, a hosted paid platform. Um, they like tinkering with their site from surveys we've done. There are people that don't um, even if they could pay a developer and save forty hours of their own time. There are people that would prefer to spend that 40 hours and know it and know how to work on it themselves. There's kind of a, a pride to that. So uh, when we think of like who our persona is, they're not really in the WordPress community. They're not attending WordCamps or events, but it, that could just be a factor of, you know, COVID and, and things that change uh, through that time and the availability of the WordPress community and those events, you know, there's lots of macro effects on what the community is shaping itself into, I guess, mm -hmm. but um, they're not, like drinking the WordPress Kool-Aid and big WordPress fans, it's kind of, sometimes it's a begrudging use, um, but they they use it because they like the freedoms it gives to them. Uh, and we try to open them up to the grander world of, of avail what's available um, for within the community, but they're not embedded in the community. They're more creators. Makes sense. Um, so you mentioned 19,000 installs uh, of your plugin. 90,000, 90. 90, okay. Yeah. All right, so 90,000. So now my question is, um, out of that, you also mentioned somewhere around 10% pro users. So what's your customer count at this moment? Guess, and it wouldn't be correct. So we have, on our, our business, we have 115,000 registered free users, and then mm -hmm. we have 4,700 paying at our top tier plan and almost 1,000 at our second tier plan. So, okay. you know, 5,500 almost 6,000 um, paying cu customers with the locked in recurring subscription in the okay. site. Yeah, And our we've talked about, uh, we've had a lot of pricing models over the years and that's always something that ties into growth and ties into those first hundred customers. But mm. our current plans, our highest tier plan is $397 per year and our second tier is 247 US dollars per year. Mm. Okay, so if that anything you did differently or changed when you want you wanted to scale from let's say 100 customers once you got your 100 customer like 100 to 1000 10000 or 100000 in this 
three three different tiers. Uh, how would you, uh, yeah, what did you do? Anything specific that you would like to share as part of your strategy, growth strategy there? Yeah, we, we've consistently raised prices over the years, but we've supported legacy pricing for our existing customer base. I think people are afraid to test pricing models and to test price increases. Um, there's, I have a lot of articles I've written about testing a price increase just by showing a higher price and then actually showing it cheaper on the checkout page. Um, you can do a price increase with a promotion and a discount. So it kind of eases the burden of the eyeballs already in your window. Um, so we've definitely played with price of our product. We've played with the plans and the selection of things that you get in each plan. Uh, trying to create a, a more affordable option is like an entry point for users. Um, I wouldn't say any one of these helped jump from a certain kind of customers to another. Um, no, I, I don't know that I'd attribute it to that. We never did a la carte product, okay. like uh, individual, which is another model if you're a plugin developer and you're considering like having an extension store versus a bundle. Ours was always a bundle and it, it um, I think that made it accessible to people to self-select which bundle fit them best because mm. they're, both plans are designed based on how robust of a membership site you're building and, and how uh, much development you want to have to do. The higher tier has some add-ons that require more customization, and then the lower tier is more beginner-friendly and accessible for a basic site. So, um, yeah, I don't know that I have a good answer to what helps those jumps happen. I think it's just longevity, continuing mm -hmm. to re release a great core product, and making sure that you're always, you know, matching price to value. Uh, for your, for your customer base. So what about, let's say, what are your top two channels where you're getting most of your customers from? WordPress.org is a huge referral source for us and organic because we have such a large um, content mm. footprint because we've been blogging for so many years. We try to write one really high quality SEO driven um, article every week. Uh, which is aggressive for a small team, but um, we get a lot of ideas for content from our support and from our own product use uh, that we're able to keep a good high quality number of ideas going. Um, we have a very active YouTube channel, so I think that's also very important. The more that you are active in a channel like YouTube, you're getting external people's eyeballs uh, just from things you're sharing about. So ideas mm -hmm. like how to recreate X on WordPress can be great. Uh, content that people are attracted to and they don't even know about you yet. So I, I see that as a huge one. But I think being in .org is attributed the the largest to our growth because it's a, a searchable list of store right in the WordPress site yeah. that uh, every WordPress install has access to. Hmm. So let me ask you one question on WordPress.org. Is there anything uh, that you learned from your listing on WordPress.org that helped like something might, might be a, like a very enlightening moment like wow we didn't know that if we just tweak this you know that can actually increase the visibility of the plugin so any tips hacks or learnings that you can share i, I we did play around like readme is one thing that a lot of people spend time playing around with and, and optimizing the name of their plugin, the short mm. description, the longest description, what keywords you rank in. Um, I think you don't have to be afraid to play around with that. If you want to release a README update every day, you know, you can. There's uh, Once your plugin's in.org, it's kind of a 
very quickly, if not instantaneously approved to push a README update. Um, I think high, I look at high quality screenshots when I look okay. at a README listing and we did re-optimize those recently. I think that's very important. Um, we haven't done the animated GIF on the repo icon yet. That's something you're gonna see a lot of and, and more people doing. Yeah. Uh, we might do it. We try to follow suit to the most installed platforms, most installed mm. plugins on .org. So when you see WooCommerce doing it, it's it's like, okay, this yeah. is fair game. Now we're gonna start doing this. Uh, <laughs> I think people don't realize the value of uh, replying in your support within .org. Uh, mm -hmm. It does impact your ranking. And, and if you have a large number of unresolved tickets, there, it, they say that it can impact ranking. We try very hard to uh, maintain that relationship and while following the .org guidelines, um, providing the free support or redirecting people to the right channel. So a lot of people um, have a love-hate with providing support through that forum. Um, I think just accept and develop clear SOPs for your team and for yourself of how you'll use that space and yeah. try to deal with the hate that you might get um, from that space you know, as easily as you can. Yeah, no, I love those tips, uh, Kim. Especially the um, uh, support, like how we not le letting any unresolved support request, uh, and also screenshot. And one thing I also like about it, and I kind of like also try to apply that in in our products, is always learn from others. Like so. As you mentioned, that WooCommerce and Elementor, there are a bunch of different plugins who has millions of install. So just see, you know, how they are doing it. You know, there is, of course, there will be something that they must have tweaked multiple different times in order to do that and to to achieve that growth. So there is uh, something. Uh, there are some definitely some lessons and learnings from there that we can we can take on. Yeah, we we used to have a video in our .org readme. Uh, we took it out because it was outdated and we didn't see a large impact, but I am considering putting one back in. Uh, mm. If you spot check, you won't see a lot of readmes have a, a video in place, which okay. we, we, I took that feedback to say, oh, it's not popular and needed, but mm. that might've been the wrong feedback and maybe the right feedback I should have said, is it is it a differentiator? Um, mm. And maybe refreshing that video is on my to-do list, You know, however long that to-do list is, but um, it's not majorly impacting the downloads um, to not have a video there, but I think it could be a differentiator to, to include one. Yeah. Okay, guys, so if you're interested to check out how Multicollab works and how Multicollab can solve your problems or improve your content publishing workflow, you can go to our website and click on the Try Demo tab in the menu section. Then simply fill out your details and there you go. Now you have access to the demo environment where you can test all the amazing features that Multicollab has to offer. Great. Uh, also wanted to go back to um, the content strategy that you mentioned. That content has been your one of the top channel for the growth, um, and it's uh, it's it's something that recently, especially uh, since I started interviewing more guests on this podcast, and we talked about like you know the um, the product growth strategy, and content came out you know was definitely in one of the top three channel for pretty much all the wordpress plugin business and this is something that um i think you know i also want to highlight it because a lot of time what happens is when we look at the content you know especially when we started a dot store and multi collab you know for our business like that was something that was like oh yeah it, 
it's good, but it's also slow. It's like takes time, you know? So we, for some reason, I mean, for this reason, actually, we did not uh, put that much priority on content. And we also did not invested enough, you know, we're doing the content, but it was not something that we would consider as like, oh yeah, this is a focus where this is the channel where we should, should focus most on. Um, but now, uh, six months, uh, three months before, uh, I, we changed that mindset and I was like, all right, now content is going to be our primary channel. That's where we want to put our time and energy. And if we have any more bandwidth left, like in terms of the budget and the time, then we'll go and do other stuff. Uh, but yeah, I think it's very important. Uh, I mean, it's very enlightening to learn that uh, it is the same case for for you and your business too. Yes, absolutely. And it's uh, it's not a goal to recreate a WP beginner. We're not making mm. these widespread net of WordPress content. Uh, yeah. And I see that from plugin companies. They start to create content like the best 20 plugins for X and it's unrelated to what their product mm. does. I think there's, um, you can be a, an expert and connect something like a listicle to your product and do it in a way that uh, is more authentic than just like regurgitating someone else's list to get that top hit. So we, I, I recommend always tying the content you're creating to like your product your user base, it will be long tail content. It's not the content that's gonna rank for the most simple keyword, you know, but if it's something that your users are going to use and it will help, it will reduce support, it will help them understand your product better and maybe help with some customer acquisition. Um, we create less top of funnel content and more middle and bottom of funnel and kind of funnel and nurturing content um, for those reasons, we can direct a pre-sales query to a, a blog post that does exactly what they want. That user experience is really powerful. They say, like, does Payne Merchants Pro work for a paid newsletter? And it's like, here's a step-by-step -step guide on how to create a paid newsletter with Payne Memberships Pro. It's mm. more powerful than just writing in the, in the response how you do it. Because that feels like one person sharing knowledge to one person. No, we're so confident we have a full guide about it. Here's that mm. guide. Um, so I spend more time in that type of content world than I do just high high level should you use WordPress like I don't know that you'd see a post like that on our site or if you do we'll probably be refactoring it into something more focused um, for our user base specifically yeah uh, Steve uh, from publish press he does the same thing when I asked him about his content strategy he told me he's like yeah, like whatever the questions that our customers and users who are using the plugin already, when they ask the questions and support like, hey, how to do this? You know, does does your plugin do that? And like, we just go and uh, uh, create uh, a tutorial or an article about it. And that's uh, that is something that also gives them tons of traffic and more relevant traffic, not just like random traffic that doesn't have any relation or buying intent uh, or, or an intent to use the plugin. So I love that uh, that you also mentioned mentioned. Yeah, that. that's that's a mistake people make is they create mm. content that is so top of funnel and then they question whether content marketing is the right strategy because they're not seeing conversion from it. They're not seeing Google mm. Analytics tell them the page value of that post is one dollar, is ten dollars, is thirty dollars, whatever it is. There's it's yeah. just so disconnected from the actual buyer uh, mm. that you there's no um, traceability there. You know. Yeah. And then there's a the value of always having content. You have something perennial to email your user base about, email your list about, that huge list of free users you've accumulated by having 
locked documentation. Now you have news, you sound vibrant. Uh, someone tweeted the other day, like, I'm not liking the way MemberPress is doing this thing in the direction they're going. I think it's out of alignment with me. What other membership plugins are you using? And someone said, you know, I'm going to use Restrict Content Pro because I have a lifetime license, but I see so much activity from Paid Memberships Pro. If I had to choose, I think I'd choose them. They feel active. And content's mm. a way to do that. That's how your marketers produce mm. uh, activity or developers are producing activity through releases. The marketing team has to look active also. Yeah. So, Kim, um, let's switch gears to uh, Black Friday uh, as we're talking about the growth and the Black Friday, Cyber Monday, I think uh, as, as of the recording of this this episode, this is December, early December. Um, so how, uh, how did your uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday sell performed and any learnings or states that you want to share uh, from that? Yeah, so we... We have a mindset of experimentation in our product and our team. So this Black Friday, we shrunk it down. We did four days only, and we did a deeper discount on our higher tier plan than on our, our lower tier plans. I'm pulling up a report because I another product we have is called Sitewide Sales, and a cool feature we just added is comparison reporting. Mm -hmm. So it can compare a previous sale to a current. So I'm going to share screen once this loads. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so we see a lot of products saying like, oh, I did an all-month sale or I'm doing a sale through the end of December. Um, and that's a strategy to take. This year we said, let's shrink it down. We'll make our higher tier plan lower. We know what our renewal rate is. We know 55 to 60% of people are going to renew. So if we discount, we did 50%, it was like 49%. So our 397 plan was 197. And um, we know that next year, 55 to 60% of those people are going to renew at 397 at the full price. So it kind of was a hedge a bet to trust what our renewal rate would be. So this is mm -hmm. the um, 2023. Um, you'll see like this shows, you know, lower banner reach. So this is our site sales plugin. Um, it tracks like an on-site banner, which we I love that, that like how it can just don't give this comparison right built into yeah. the function. You don't so have it, to do that all yourself. Paid memberships, Pro, WooCommerce, EDD, it works with. This is paid memberships Pro, obviously. Um, mm. So our, we use our pricing page as our landing page, which is also a first time doing that this year. Um, you'll see people create these like beautiful, interactive Black Friday design campaigns. And for the past few sales we've done in 2023, we said, let's just send them to the pricing page. We know that's a page that converts it's a page we put a lot of time into designing. And here we are like once off every year creating a Black Friday landing page just for the fun of it. Mm. We don't know if it's optimized. We don't know how it converts. Yeah. And and we said like, let's not roll that dice. So all of this year we've been using our pricing page with strike through pricing uh, as the sale landing page. So that's also a difference of last year. So banner reach is lower because the sale period was lower. Um, more people hit the landing page because our pricing page is in our main menu. Our landing page for our sales wasn't in the main menu. So the traffic to that page required a click through from a social, from an email or from a banner. But pricing is a part of everyone's flow. It's in our app and goes right to the checkout page or right mm -hmm. to the pricing page. It's in the menu. So um, conversions were way higher and the sale outperformed in such a shorter period of time from the year before. So this is by day. Um, since the other sales longer, I don't have that data, but Cyber Monday being the best day of the sale. This is all like new revenue and okay. then comparing um, new revenue, a sale revenue, specifically new customer checkouts from renewals in the same period to the total revenue period of those four days. So it was a huge event and mm. we didn't know how it would go. We didn't know how 
using the pricing page would go, how having a shorter sale period would, would go, but it kind of just did better in a shorter period of time with way less design need up front. So it was a fun, a fun couple days. Yeah. And um, you, what, what was the discount percentage that you mentioned that uh, you tried this year compared to last year? Yeah, our, our top tier plan was 50%. Last year it was, I think, close to like 34% off. We don't do it as a flat percent. We just make the number make sense. So the product is 397 Last year, I think we made it 247 This year we made it 197 So we took we lost $50 you know, less per sale yeah. compared to 2022 numbers with the hedged bet of can we get more people in at a higher tier plan and keep our retention rate the same for next year. So hmm. I'll let you know, have me back in 2024 and we'll <laughs> see. Did you run a Black Friday campaign with your products? Uh, we did. So we, um, we did it for uh, Dot Store and Multicollab, uh, the two product brands. Um, Dot Store, um, if I remember correctly, I think last compared to last year, this year we did, we did good. Um, and uh, I think our discount on that uh, traditionally has been somewhere around uh, 40 to 50 percent. Um, but on multi-collab, um, we did not do good, you know, so it wasn't uh, uh, a good good campaign. Um, and I think one learning that I learned from that, like we did a uh, 30% discount. And I believe that you, I, like now I feel like, you know, 20 to 30% is something that people consider as like, oh, this is something that usually they get it, you know, even the normal days, but when it's come to Black Friday, Cyber Monday, uh, I'm not sure, but I think that was kind of like one thing that I put it down on my, learnings uh from 2023 uh, cyber monday and black friday was like all right try at least 45 percent or 50 percent uh, um, discount maybe next year um we also did the same thing we did not create a landing page for multi-collab we went straight take, took straight uh, them to the the pricing page you know because at the same as like if somebody is like looking at the ad or like wherever they already know you know that all right this plugin uh, and that's something I've seen like in uh, myself too. Like usually on Black Friday, and uh, I buy all the products that are already I have like a strong interest in. You know, so even even if it's not digital, like I like my same same my moisturizer creams. You know, I was like that this yep. brand, and I was lo know that like okay, if that brand has a discount, I'm gonna buy it. You know, because I use that. Like you know, so that's kind of like something I thought about it. I was like a lot of people who actually want to take an advantage of black friday and cyber monday they are not just going to randomly stumble upon your ad and it's like oh, let me buy it you know but somewhere they have already have some level of education and awareness about the product and uh, they were thinking about buying it you know so the moment they see a good discount they just want to buy it you know they already have that education and awareness so with that assumption yeah, we also um uh, took all of them straight to the the pricing page yeah, I have an article on the Sitewide Sales blog about planning a calendar for your sales and setting a, a good cadence. And a lot of that is what you talked about. Like people are waiting in line to buy your product cheaper. If you actually picture them as human beings standing outside a door waiting mm. and the people going in the door have enough money to buy at full price, they're not waiting. But the people actually standing and waiting want a discount that is good enough for them. And when that sale comes, it's like the door opens, the people rush in and buy. So if you can plan a sale calendar that makes sure enough people are waiting at the door, 
and that the price that you're charging is the price you think that they are ready to pay at those points. So it's it's fun to visualize that. I'll find that link. We can put it in the comments of the of the um, thing. And I also like that you mentioned that you took notes. I think a lot of people get past a sale event like that, and then they say like, okay, what next? You know, I have to catch up on my real work now. Hmm. And they don't devote a moment to analyze and take a note. What do I want to do next year? What worked? What should I tell my future self when I run Black Friday 2024? Yeah, exactly. And what better moment than when you've just experienced it? Just come out of that. So I do have a stubbed out article for uh, running a sale post-mortem is what we call it in our team. But it's so important. And I love that you is, yeah. have, have done that. And I think you'll probably find a lot of people are like, wait, what? Is that a thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, exactly. So what we do is like we use Basecamp for all our um, operations and all. So in the Basecamp, I asked my marketing managers, like, go right now, create a task, 2024, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, planning and strategy. And in that task, put this note. So next year, when we pick up that task, because in the one year after 12 months, you and I, we both will forget like what were the lessons, you know? So let's just put all the notes there. So next year, when we think about planning, we start uh, right here, you know, all these learnings. Yeah, great. Um, no, I'm glad um, that we had a chance to kind of like uh, share some of the uh, learnings and the performance on, on Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And that's kind of a conversation that I'm seeing a lot as well on posted a Slack channel and a couple of other Slack channels that people are, some are reporting like, well, we had an awesome uh, uh, campaign and some of them had the very disappointing and we had a both, you know, like one product did really well and one product did not do at all. So yeah, we kind of like uh, had a very mixed experience um, this time. Do you take a moment to set a goal for a sale? We don't always do that, but I think the goal isn't always revenue. And, and, but that's mm. what we think the goal is. So it could just be, you know, acquisition of an email, growing an email list, or who knows what it is, or like testing mm. a theory or running an experiment. So I don't know. Do you, do you set a goal? Um, so with our dot store business, I think we were trying, we were trying to see if we can do, uh, 20 or 30% more than the last year. That was kind of our benchmark. Um, but for this multicolor, because this is the first year we did the Black Friday, so we didn't didn't have any any benchmark or something. Uh, but I was just kind of like uh, uh, just waiting and hoping that, all right, now we're going to have uh, a lot of tons of sales. You know, that was the, the goal. And <laughs> sales at all, yeah. Yeah, sales at all. So I told my team member, I was like, if uh, from Monday, you know, it's like if you get more than let's say ten cells, ping me on the Slack. You know, if you get the ten cells, order ping me on the Slack. So I wanted to see how our cells perform. Uh, but no, I think it, it was definitely um, a lot of learning, uh, especially. And what you mentioned is there was kind of like also one big realization for me. Like each product has um, a very different level of. Uh, uh, involvement from your customers. So at what stage they are, they are already using the product or they are, they just learn about the product and they are buy, ready to buy. They're not ready to buy right now. They're looking for right deal. What stage they are kind of like, if you can make some assumptions around and then create your copy and campaign, um, that can actually also um, change a lot in, in regards to the success of your campaign. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah, yeah, first year you don't have too many things to yeah. go by. So yeah, <laughs> something at all would be happy. I like that. 
exactly. All right, Kim. So now we are finally changing the gear. Uh, there was one more question, one question that I wanted to to just get off the list and then uh, move into to the next one. So now let's talk about. We talked a lot about growth. We talked a lot about growth strategy. Now let's talk about the the peace and the the balance and uh, you know that aspect of the life. So the question is. Um, what are some of the the daily habits and routines that help you to maintain the balance between the peace and growth? Oh, I'm not good at this. I'll take your advice here, but I, <laughs> um, I, I, I am a very capable multitasker, and I know there's conversation that multitasking is not healthy. But for me, I work within the space like of my kitchen in my home where, you know, I am a mother. I, I'll, I will reference things that are very motherly roles here, but anyone could have these roles in a household. But I definitely use my work day to also do home things. So I break up my time. I throw in wash. I grab things out for dinner. Um, I'm kind of constantly operating in both sides. But I think that that gives me peace because I can like drop a note to someone in Slack and I can take 15 minutes to go make the bed or take the dogs on more than 15 minutes to take the dogs on a walk. But I, I don't time box. I don't set a firm schedule for myself, but I allow myself a fluid day to self-direct. Um, my team knows that about me and certain people on our team can certainly time box if they prefer, have set hours and, and leave at a certain time. But I've gotten to a, a place where I don't put judgment on how many hours I'm working in a day or if I'm working at times where other people would say isn't healthy uh, and just feel myself and do do me a lot, which is something I've grown into as a person, as a human, as a 40 plus year old woman. It's something that um, I, I feel at peace with and I try not to create judgment uh, against myself for because we, we judge ourselves enough throughout our day. Hmm. All right. So two things I want to pick up on what you shared. The first one is you mentioned about the multitasking that there are, you know, the two different side of the camp, you know, so I was like, yeah, multitasking is real hustle and productivity is almost like, oh, well, not sure. Um, so one thing that I learned about multitasking a few months ago from this book called um, uh, Hyper Productivity. So uh, it was a very interesting concept. So the way author put it, the multitasking, he's like, there are two types of tasks. One is which require the active attention and one requires a passive attention. So let's say walking um, and like a lot of other, like, you know, laundry and lot, those, those doesn't require like your active attention. Okay. So if you try, you know, to do, let's say, if you try to focus too much on your walking, you know, and if you try to give an active attention to your walking, you will actually not walk in a right way. You know, you will actually disturb the, the natural process of walking your, where your mind has already learned and, and, and mastered it. So that was kind of like interesting, like always like he he's shared there are like a bunch of different like mindless activity during the day that we do like walking and washing, like uh, cleaning the dishes and, uh, and uh, folding the laundry. Those are all um, passive mindless activity. So if you 
do something else. You can pick up an, another activity which requires a little bit more active attention. And that active attention can be maybe listening to a podcast or listening to an audiobook or um, maybe talking to a friend or family member while you are, you know, doing that. So that's what something that I kind of like was a big aha moment for me. I was like, okay, so not all tasks are like whether they should be we should multitask or not, but we should pay attention to whether uh, the second task, uh, the primary task that we are doing, which is walking or cleaning, that's part of the require the active attention or passive attention. That's interesting. I like I like that mindset. I think maybe I misuse the word multitasking, and I should say like I use all of my minutes. You know, how often are we waiting five minutes before the next meeting starts and we grab mm. a phone or we, you know, who knows what we do? I think yeah. I use those minutes to do the other task and I can jump between tasks readily, easily. You know, if I know that I have five minutes before a call, that seems like a small number to a lot of people. They might think five minutes is not a lot of time. Mm. And I'm like, oh, I can like pull out everything I need to make spaghetti tonight in that time. Mm. And I jump and I do it and I come back to my desk. And is that maybe that's not multitasking, but it's like uh I would say that's a good use of time actually. Yeah. Yeah. Using yeah. time and using your minutes well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, it is actually a very good point. And I think I I'm a uh uh right now, for example, like uh 10 minutes, you know, like we always underestimate what we can do in five to 10 minutes and overestimate, you know, what we can do in in, in, an, in 10 hours. The, the, the one thing that I'm trying to do is like uh, creating a list of all those things that you can do in less than 10 minutes. And, and what you mentioned about is very true that sometimes when we have 10 minutes, it's like, oh, you know, 10 minutes is too small time to kind of like do anything. And we just let that time pass uh, unless like you're being mindful and you know uh, just trying to focus on your thoughts and just you just want to be relaxed that's totally fine but if we are neglecting that 10 minutes because we feel like there's nothing i can do in 10 minutes you know something requires so um i've uh, started to get i think i have a list of 25 items that and one of them i would say let's say if you just uh, reading for example reading a book or listening to a podcast or an audiobook like in 10 minutes you know, you can actually read eight to 10 pages, you know, in audiobook, actually, if you're listening to an audiobook and at 1.25x speed, if you're listening to that, or like even the normal speed, in 10 minutes, you can actually read uh, 10 to 12 pages. Now, if we do that consistently, like every day, if you find this 10 minute, uh, you know, in between the meetings, what you mentioned about like, you know, waiting for something, uh, end of the year, you will be able to read 10 to 12 books you know, because, yeah because each page each book each book average book is somewhere around 200 to 215 pages and 10 minutes let's say every day for 365 i did all the math and i landed to 12 books i was like if i just allow you start using this 10 minutes without putting any extra time and energy i can read 12 12 books that's amazing I like that you yeah. have a list. I feel like that's a newsletter idea here. We're all going to join your newsletter, like <laughs> a Neil's weekly 10 minute add to your life tip thing. <laughs> we'll come up with a better name than we'll that. Yeah. yeah. I have actually a newsletter. It's called Learn and Grow, oh, where I share um, weekly, every Saturday, I share everything that I'm experimenting with and learning with. 
but that's that's uh, one of my newsletter topic actually that's why i wanted i started collecting it uh, i was asking my wife earlier i was like hey what are the things because women are very good at multitasking and finding the opportunities to utilize the time more wisely than men so i was asking her I was like you tell me like what are those different things that we can Productive time, uh, productive utilization of 10 minutes, and we are still brainstorming, and we have a list of 25. So yeah, at some point, uh, I'm gonna share that on my newsletter issue. Subscribe to Anil's newsletter. Woo! <laughs> there you go. There you go. Hi, Kim. So next question is uh, when it comes to uh, who are your role models or source of inspirations in balancing personal development and inner peace. I think other founders in the WordPress space, you after meeting you and talking through this this time, I think anyone that takes a critical look at their work and life and and makes a call that isn't the normal call, you know, being an entrepreneur, running an open source product like this, working from your kitchen, like I don't know that that's the normal life these days. Uh, mm. There's certainly ways, you know, I tell myself this, if my business failed, I could get a really high paying job somewhere with all the skills I've acquired. Um, it might be a, a lie. I might have terrible interview skills. I have no resume. I have never had to do this. Um, but it is, it's a decision to work this way and have this lifestyle. Um, I look at like Chris Badgett. I look at my husband. I look at Katie Keith from Barn 2. I, I look at all the people in our, in our WordPress space that are, have lives very similar to mine and are juggling the things I'm juggling and kind of soak up any inspiration and feedback they can give to me. Um, yeah, I love that. I'm not a big reader of business books. My husband is, and he hmm. will give me like the Cliff's Notes version <laughs> of a lot of things and, and things to help my mindset uh, when I'm facing an issue, like, you know, little nuggets he'll read in things. Um, but I think I, I just like observe everyone around us and stay open to listen and to share. Okay. And what uh, were your biggest learning um, in 2023? Uh, we are almost end of the 2023. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, my, my husband's big into Michael Singer, who is like a, a, he writes a lot of books like about happiness and grief and post-life progression. I don't know what they call these things, mm. but um, I'm very in, I tune myself into the emotions of the people around me, maybe too much. And I'm learning in 2023 to like still feel empathy, but not feel empathy so much mm. and let it affect me and my mood um and and who i'm supposed to be so one of those teachings is that like imagine the people around you are a tumultuous sea of raging water and it's just woof, and you're a bird i'm a bird i can either sit in that raging water and let it rock me as heavily as the people who are also in that water or i can fly above it and i can kind of observe it and i'm looking at it but i'm not a part of it and it, it's a good visual and the mantra of like be the bird to uh, step back and, you know, mm. I work with my husband, I work with my co-founder, so his emotions about work and mine are different at times. And I don't have to feel his stress about how his team's performing or how his product is doing, or, you know, even though it's the same as mine, um, his interpretation, his experience with it is his own experience. My children have a bad day at school. A teacher was mean to someone. Hmm. that is really horrible and I don't like it as a mother and I feel it because I love them, but I'm not, it's not the experience that I'm having. So I can more, I don't know, objectively help them, I guess, rather than hmm. also feel mad and also feel sad and 
give off all those stress hormones to the world around me. So yeah, it's beautiful, but I, I worry that it can create you, make you feel detached, which isn't the goal. The goal isn't to be a stone cold person who doesn't feel, it's just to um, give yourself space to be the person that the person in trouble needs you to be without also feeding into the stress and, and fear and sadness. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. Um, all right. So, last couple of questions, and then we'll slowly land it to uh, to the ground. Uh, what was your weird, strange, or funny learning in twenty twenty three? Oh goodness! Hope you can edit out my awkward pause here. <laughs> <laughs> you can think about it. Meanwhile, I'll share a couple of my learnings. You know, okay. Um, so, as a part of the the yearly review and reflection, I am starting. I actually do it every. I have a note. You know, so anytime I find like, oh, this is a weird thing that I learned today, and I'll just put it in a note. But a couple of things. One is, and um, that average. I learned this that average American spend eight minutes in shower. That's more than me. Is that less than you? <laughs> <laughs> I tried. I tried actually. I tried to uh, to to count that, and mine was seven and a half minutes. So mm. uh, yeah. So. Uh, but it's interesting to know that, like, you know, we spend eight minutes in the shower. And another interesting thing, again, related to the fact was that average American uh, spend five hours watching TV. That's 35 hours TV a week. It's almost like oh, a, a full-time job. Five hours a day? Five hours a day, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Can you believe Yikes. it? It's almost like a full-time job. <laughs> That's so disappointing. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, yeah, it is very actually. Yeah, but then it is what it is. But another interesting thing was, was that like, I was like, wow, it's like a full time job. Like, how people have that much time to watch this much oh TV? <laughs> I guess Anyways, I, right. when I was traveling, I got the joyful experience of an Eastern toilet, which to me is like a squat toilet. Mm -hmm. And that, I know this is gross to talk about, but. No, nothing um, is gross in this, this podcast. <laughs> that was very eye-opening for me okay. to experience. Mm -hmm. And um, in a place where I was in Tibet, so a place where like modesty for uncovering yourself, but then I was in these restrooms that were like wallless open places where I walk in and I can see other people using the restroom. It was like, mm. to me, like I, I was in some pretty rural areas, but that was very, you know, weird. And mm. to experience as a person who has never used that style, except like camping to mm. use a squat style toilet. <laughs> so, um, but to know, you know, there's health benefits to it. And yeah. I didn't, you know, obviously I'm not sick or anything terrible happened to me. And mm. it's very uh, comfortable and normal to all the people there. I was the one that was cringing and, and uncomfortable. So, mm. you know, it's a good lesson to just see like that they're, you know, step outside of what you're comfortable with, you know, even going to the bathroom you would never think had such variety across the world um yeah. but definitely that was weird that's you know i don't hope to revisit soon that weird experience <laughs> so on that note um i grew up in india and okay. i grew up uh, like you know pretty much uh, the the pretty much a yeah, majority of the country is designed and architecture is like that where the toilets are where you have to squat and um so later on, you know, the some of the house that I bought and built, you know, I 
I requested because since I started traveling, you know, I was using more like the Western, I, I mean, I'm not sure, but like we call it Eastern yeah. toilet and the Western toilet. That's the that's term that we, we <laughs> so like I started more using more Western toilet and that's where I was like, oh, this thing is fine. You know, it's, it's just like nice to sit on that than, than squatting. Um, but then, um, um, my wife and I, we were talking about like next year, my, my mom, uh, probably will visit the US. So we're thinking about that too, also because my mom, I don't think so she ever has used a Western toilet. And I was like, yeah, we need to actually, we have a problem, you know, so this is not gonna, gonna we're not gonna to use this. You know? oh, no. <laughs> That'd be funny to have in your home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So hey, that's what we, we decided that in a new home, we're gonna have uh, the, uh, yeah, the, what, it's called bidet, right? Japanese yeah, uh, bidet. Bidet, yeah. yeah. So I think we are planning to 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 have uh, install that in one or or two of our bathrooms. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. Sorry for the potty talk, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was fun. Uh, well, that's uh, let's uh, let's um, let's let's end on on that note. And um, the last one or two things that I wanted to ask you, Kim. One is. Um, is there anything else that we didn't have a chance to to talk or mention today that you would uh, like to mention uh, before we wrap this up? I think I always give people the message just like um, to give yourself grace and not to judge yourself. I mentioned that earlier, but it is when you find yourself in a headspace of like judgment, I'm not successful enough. I'm working too hard. I'm not working enough. Um, you know, it's going to ebb and flow. And that's a mm. freedom you have. It's not it's not a bad thing that it ebbs and flows. So yeah, I'd say that. And I'd say, you know, if you're running a, your company solo, give yourself intentional time off if you can. You know, we're doing a cycle of a sabbatical within our owner team. So within Chris at Lifter LMS, Jason, who's on one right now, myself, I had three weeks off in September of actual off time. So if you have a co-founder or a leadership team that can sustain you uh, a way to create peace and and a re better relationship with your business when you return consider an owner sabbatical that yeah. could be a whole podcast in itself to talk about <laughs> that concept i yeah. I, uh, I encourage you to try one <laughs> you know i'm glad that you mentioned that and i um i i call them growth trips so my version of that is growth trips and uh, i started that since last two years so every three months i will take uh, off from the work, you know, we'll go for three to five days or sometimes more. But those three to five days, I'll either try uh, to learn a new skill, you know, experience something different because a lot of uh, like high achievers, uh, you know, you know, they also have like, all right, I can't just go and sit on a beach and read a book. You know, that's not me. It's like very hard for me to say, all right, it's okay. It doesn't have to be doesn't have to be that version of the growth trip. You know, you if you feel like, okay, I like to, I went to, a few months ago, I went to uh, learn how to make coffee. So how to be a barista. So I did the three-day uh, barista course. So that was kind of like my version of growth trip. I right? you know, was like, I can't just sit alone, like sit quietly and I need to, to be engaged in doing something. Um, so that's that. And one last thing on, what you mentioned about uh, not judging ourselves. I think it's a very beautiful thought. And 
one thing I learned from my yoga and meditation teacher training program as it, it was very much centered around the spirituality. And uh, one beautiful thing that my yoga and meditation teacher said uh, during our class is that he said, uh, love starts when we stop judging. So, and that's like very simple and profound thought, like love starts when we stop judging and judging is like judgment, judging ourselves, judging someone else. But the moment we stop judging, you know, that's where, you know, the love starts, right? So it's a very beautiful thing. So let's end on that note that, uh, you know, uh, ponder on these thoughts, like, you know, what are those different areas of your life, uh, work, life, relationship, uh, even to yourself, you know, if you're judging and constantly uh, blaming, judging, or making any conclusions around, uh, maybe this thought will help you to, to think about uh, a little bit differently. Awesome. So with that note, let's um, bring this to, to home, uh, Kimberly. And, oh, well, this is the first time I say your full name. <laughs> oh. All right. That's so. <laughs> Yeah, so thank you so much, uh, Kim. Um, you were so generous with your time and also sharing all the tips and insights uh, for a product growth and also had a fun chat talking about a lot of other ideas and thoughts. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great, I like the concept of this podcast a lot. So hope everyone else joins. Thank you. And last thing is it is December 2023 when we are recording. So if uh, you are listening in December, happy holidays. If you're listening to this in January or February, happy new year. Um, and if you haven't had a chance to subscribe to my blog, uh, that's anilg.substack.com. Um, that's where I share a bunch of different uh, productivity tips and personal growth tips and peaceful growth tips. Um, and what we discussed in the show today, you know, there's some of these weird listings that I'm collecting, like what are the things you can do in 10 minutes? Uh, what are my weird fun learnings of 2023? All of that I'm going to share uh, next year in, uh, in January, next month, actually, next month and next year in January. So stay tuned. And if you haven't signed up, uh, please sign up. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Peaceful Growth. Sign up for my newsletter, Learn and Grow on anilg.substack.com to get more personal growth and work-life balance tips delivered to your inbox weekly. Also check out the show notes of this episode to get access to all the resources mentioned during this interview. May the peace and growth be with you.